Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Josh Locke, one of the elders here, and uh, I am privileged to continue our Easter series called Eyewitness Accounts. Uh, We're looking at Easter through the eyes of people who lived it and just using that as a framework for understanding the season that we're in. Last week, Pastor Greg talked about how the, the message of Easter is that God's love is for everyone, right? That, that's, that's a big component of Easter. Today we'll be looking at two, uh, two eyewitness accounts, and we'll be talking about, the title of the message today is Answering the Hard Questions. Now really it's one question, but I felt like you saying that doesn't sound as good, it, like grammatically, it just seems a little off, so answering the hard questions is what we're talking about today. But that question is why? Why? I get asked why all the time. If you're a parent in here, you get asked why all the time. If you interact with with people for work or at home, you probably get asked why a lot as well. Um, I was thinking about my kids asking me why, and sometimes it's the, well, why do I have to help clean up, right? Well, we're a family. We do this together, right? Those are simple ones. There are much harder ones, like why did Meme die, right? That's a harder one to answer. And then there's some that are just... The other day, Michael and I, he's my three-year-old, we're playing with Legos, and he just out of the blue says, why did God make the beach? And it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, <laughs> he's like, but he kept going, he's like, why is it so sandy? And again, it's like, uh, you know, I, I could probably come up with some answer about rocks and erosion, but, you know, I, I don't really know. Um, but at answering the question why can be hard. That can be hard sometimes. And um, I think about in high school, so our high schoolers, I think, are all over next door. But um, most of us have been through high school, and uh, we've all been, or most of us have been through high school math. And I just remember those math questions that we would get asked. We'd answer the questions, and then at the end, it would say, well, why is that the answer? And my blood would just boil. I would be like, the answer's 17 because that is the answer. I'd be as, as snarky as I could be. But uh, the reason teachers do this is because when you can explain the why, it, it just is so much so much deeper and so much more important. Uh, my wife, uh, when, when she was teaching, she, she, she would tell you this, like she's not the best at math, but she was so focused on helping kids understand why for math, which is what they, they take into the rest of their life. So that's what we're talking about today, answering the question why. And I believe that today in this season of Easter, God is asking us to answer the question, well, why did Jesus need to die? Now, if you're a Christian, I think you're probably jumping up. You're like, you know, I know the answer, right? You, you can tell me. And you probably can. I, I believe that you can. But I think that what God is wanting us to do is go on this journey through Scripture to understand and build that depth. Because I believe as we do that and we, de- we have it deep in our heart, it will help us to grow and help us appreciate it more. And for some in here, you have no idea why. And you're in a great spot because we're going to talk about that today. So, um, yeah, I believe that as we go through this, it will be good for us. And that, that's, as I prepare this message, that just was God's heart, that it will be good for us to go through and answer why. It will build an understanding of Jesus in a deeper way, an understanding of Easter in a deeper way, and just our desperate need of him. So uh, let's look at some eyewitnesses' accounts. Uh, the first account is from the disciples. Now, last week, Pastor Greg helped me out a little bit because he said that the Easter season is more than just right from when Jesus comes in on the donkey to when he, he rose again, right? It, it's beyond that. And I'm going to take that pretty liberally. We're going to go a little further um, than, than that with a couple of our examples. 
the, the disciples, we are starting off at the beginning of Jesus's um, ministry. So Matthew 5, this is right after the disciples have been called. And I just imagine everyone's kind of like excited. Like you ever been on a project and everyone's new and you're just ready to go, like you're excited about it. And I just imagine that's the disciples' mentality as they go into it. So this is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a couple of verses from this. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I just picture the disciples looking at each other and just like, like smiling nice and big. Like, that's great. Like, we, we love to hear that. And then Jesus says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. And again, this is me making it up, but I picture like Peter running around high-fiving everyone, saying like, yeah, like amped up about this. And then Jesus throws a curveball. And he says in verse 17, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And maybe what you don't know is that the entire existence and life of the disciples of everyone in Israel was the law and the prophets. That was everything because that that ruled and dictated all that they did. And so when Jesus comes and says, I'm not going to get rid of this. I'm going to accomplish it. That's that's a little strange. Verse 21 and 22. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. For if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. So Jesus is saying here that it's not, a, it's not just killing people that's murder. It's having anger in your heart. Right? So Jesus is not taking that, that requirement and standard that all Israel knows and lowering it. He's raising the bar. And he continues in verse 27. You've heard, <clears throat> you've heard the commandments that say you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, Jesus is making it more than just about the actual act. Obviously, adultery is is a sin. But Jesus is saying, if you even have lust in your heart, if you even have anger in your heart, that's, that's sin. That's sin. So he's raising that standard. In verse 43, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbors and pray for your enemies. But I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I don't have any enemies that I, that I know of, but I, the times in my life that I've been wronged, I, I cannot imagine this. This is hard for me to do. Like I think of an instance when someone backs into my car and it was this whole thing, right? That, that, I was mad. I was very annoyed with that person. I definitely didn't want to love them or pray for them. Right? But again, Jesus is elevating that standard. He is saying that it's not about just what we used to do. He's, he's raising the bar. And then he finishes here in verse 48. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus tells us, tells the disciples, that his standard, that God's standard, is perfection. God's standard for us is perfection. And today, God's standard for us is perfection. Even as we enter this beautiful season of Easter, God remains the same. He says to be perfect like he is perfect. So what does it mean to be perfect? What what is Jesus talking about? Let's go back to the law and the prophets that he mentioned a little bit before. He wasn't coming to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So our second eyewitness account is from the Old Testament Israelites. So this is 
way back before, obviously, Jesus and the disciples, hundreds and thousands of years before, and we're just dropping in at some point on the Israelites in the, in the desert, right? So they're wandering around, or they've, you know, they've had a place, it got destroyed, they moved to the next place, something like that. And we're going to look at what was the Israelites' life like? What is their account that we can look at? The Old Testament contains 613 commands or rules. Does anyone know that? A lot of rules that the Israelites had to live by. So I have a list on my phone, and I need someone or a couple of people just to shout out a random number between 1 and 613. And we're just going to pick an example of these. Go ahead. 47. Thank you. 47. All right, here we go. Not to perform or acknowledge those who uh, purport to channel spirits. Okay, next. What was it? 120. All right, here we go. This is a fun game, right? 120. Uh, The courts must calculate the day on which a new month begins. Okay, next. Six. Oh, the last one. Nice, okay. Oh, no, 613 is in a lot of places. Hold on. I got to scroll. Okay, here we go. Not to retain a servant for servitude after they have married her. Okay, so there we go. Just a a wide array of rules, of restrictions, of things as simple as, hey, you know, when you plant crops, you need to plant crops in, in this order, and after so many years, you don't, right? You plant them, you let it die, you plant it, let it die, then you can harvest it. To if someone is sick, here's what needs to happen. To really specific, like if if you know Steve touches a dead body and I touch Steve, I'm also unclean and have to do a couple things. So there's there's all these rules that cultural, ceremonial, their health, behavioral rules that just ruled over the Israelites. In addition to what we know, the the Ten Commandments, right? So just all of these rules and requirements. And if you just break one of those, right? If you break a rule, a commandment. Here's what would have to happen, right? So this is just an example of it, starting in Leviticus uh, 4. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and kill the offering in the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar uh, of burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all of its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Right? So if you sin, just one thing, one mistake that you you make, big, small, it doesn't matter. You bring an animal in, and it doesn't tell you what kind of animal because it all depends on how much you could afford. If you could afford a bull, you would bring in a bull. If you could only afford a goat or a bird, that's, that's what you'd bring in. But you would put your hand on that animal and you would cut its throat and it would bleed and die and they would drain all the blood out. And in doing that and pouring the blood out on this altar and in burning the sacrifice, you were forgiven. So just think for a second. How many times have you made a mistake? Have you sinned? Right? How many times has this church sinned that's a lot of animals, right? That's a lot of animals, right? And, and the, the, tent, the temple was the slaughterhouse. I mean, that, that's what it was. 
sin, just so we're clear, you know, we, we talk about sin. Sin is anything missing perfection, right? We, we said God's standard is perfection. So anything that we're a little off, it doesn't matter if it's a little or a lot, it's, it's still sin. The term comes from an archer shooting a bow, hitting a target, and how far off that target was from bullseye is sin, right? So how far off we are from perfect, that's, that's sin. So just think, how many times have we messed up? And what God has done is he's given them these rules, and then he said, here is how you can get right with me. And it's through this process. It's through offering a sacrifice, blood being poured, and then God forgives you. And so here's what the Israelites would encounter every single day. So this is you know, a, a picture uh, layout of the camp in the wilderness. You can see from Numbers. The, the boxes on the, the outside are all the, the tri- 12 tribes. right? So you, you had your tent based off of where you were from, your family. And so um, you, you have the tent. And then on the inside, those blue rectangles, those are the, the priests uh, who, who served at the tabernacle. And in the very center, that red block is the tabernacle, which is just a fancy word for temple. A tabernacle just can move, right? It's, it's a tent. And in the tabernacle is the place where the sacrifices happened. So that's where you'd bring the animal and the priest would, would kill it. Um, that's where the altar of sacrifice was. It's where the priest did their, their thing. And then that yellow is called the Holy of Holies. And this was where only one time a year, one person would go into this area to offer a sacrifice just once. Um, it was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat was, so really important things uh, for the Israelites. And so every time an Israelite stepped out of the tent, all of their tents faced the center. And so every time they stepped out, they would look and they would see smoke rising from the, the fire, because just imagine, thousands of people, a lot of sin, offering sacrifices. So they would see the smoke rising from the fire and they would smell the animals burning. And, you know, while that might be like a, a reminder of like a hopeful thing, all I could think of is, man, this is just a reminder of sin. And did I do, like, am I, did I make a mistake and need to sacrifice an animal, right? That, that was what was happening with the Israelites. Now, you might be thinking, okay, why this? Why blood? Why did a sacrifice have to take place? Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the body is in its blood. And I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification. So why blood? Why sacrifice? Why an animal? Because that's the standard that God set up. He said, if we sin, if we make a mistake, the way to get right with him was for something to die. And it should be us. But he allows an exchange to take place where the blood of another is put on the altar to forgive our sins. So why, why does blood have this power? Because God in his mercy provided us a way to remove our sin. And to, to be right with him. If you remember Romans 3.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Right? So that was true then. That is true now. That when we sin, there is a punishment. There's a requirement for death. 
And the message of Easter is that God's plan all along, God's plan all along was for Jesus to come, to live a perfect life, and to die for our sins. So why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because of all of our sin, our mistakes, our mess-ups, our failures, for all the sins we've ever committed and will ever commit, something has to die. Something has to die for those things because God's requirement for us is perfection. And you can see thousands of years ago that God set up just a shadow and a picture of what was to come, right? A glimpse of what was to come with this process of of sacrificing an animal. So Jesus came because he had to die for our sins. And the message of Easter is that instead of us needing to die for any sin we ever make, Jesus died for all of our sin at once. We're going to look at Hebrews 9, and I wish we could go through this whole chapter, this whole chapter together, because there's so much depth and understanding that's in here. Uh, but we don't have time for that. So we're, we're, I would encourage you, if, if this is resonating with you, to go back and look at Hebrews 9 because it speaks to this in, in a much broader way. But we'll start in verse 12. With his blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's body from ceremonial impurity. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And this is where we see Christ come in. And this is where we see the message of Easter and what we can celebrate. For Christ did not enter the the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself and appears now before God on our behalf. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. So the message of Easter is that instead of us needing to die every time we sin, Jesus died for all of our sin. This, to me, just resonates so deeply in my heart. When I I think about this and understanding why, why Jesus had to come and what that means, we can see if we just look back, God set up a standard for forgiveness. God set up a standard of of perfection for us, which we could never meet. Shiloh, you could never meet God's standard of perfection. I I will never be perfect. And God, in his mercy, gave this picture, this glimpse of, of what would ultimately save us. It's not animals. It's not the blood of animals. It was the blood of Jesus. It was the, the actual blood of Jesus that saved us. And it lets us look at scripture in just a little bit of a different light. John 1, 9, this is the beginning of the gospel. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a hopeful, joyful thing that we can look at. And so, I've been saying a lot, we're called to be perfect. And if you hear that and then you leave and you don't 
don't hear my heart here. <laughs> please, please don't get mad. This, God's call to us is perfection, right? That's what his word says. It's true. But here's the difference, and the difference is, is so critical, is that if you have Jesus, when you sin, God is not looking at you for payment for that sin. He is looking at Jesus. Hebrews 9.24 says, Jesus stands in heaven on our behalf. Jesus is standing there. And so when we sin, God looks at Jesus and his wrath is satisfied for us. Shiloh, his wrath is satisfied. God has no more wrath for you. I was, I was reading Ephesians 2 uh, earlier this morning and it talks about how we were all children of wrath. We all were subject to God's wrath. But then in verse 4, it says, but God who is rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So we are called to be perfect. And if you don't have Jesus, your standard is still perfection. And all of us here will miss that mark. Who here is not perfect? Raise your hand. Okay, just want to make sure everyone's awake. That's good, right? <laughs> We're not perfect, right? You might think, look at me and say, Josh, is, Josh looks perfect, right? I'm pretty close, but I'm, I'm not perfect. And, and, that, and none of us are. None of us are. But it's because Jesus is in heaven, and when we make a mistake and we sin, God's wrath for that sin, which always existed, was always required because the wages of sin is death. God looks at Jesus and Jesus took on all the wrath and sin for us forever, forever. Matthew 5, 17, we looked at this earlier with the disciples. Don't misunderstand why I have come. This is Jesus. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I have come to accomplish their purpose, right? Jesus did not come to just get rid of all of those things. Yes, those ceremonial rules, he, he abolishes those, those rules in the New Testament. He also fulfills and, and upholds the, the rules. The Ten Commandments still exist. You cannot go murder, right? He makes it even harder. He makes it impossible for us. We, we all are guilty of that. But Jesus came and he fulfilled the law for us. First uh, John 4, 10 talks about how Jesus was it's called, the, the word is called the propitiation. It means it's a sacrifice that removes wrath, which as, as people, we don't get that. Like the example I, I was taught was, let's say your spouse, your parent, your child, whatever, is driving and a drunk driver hits them and they die. The drunk driver's insurance company will come and they'll say, okay, well, they were this old, they had this much education, you know, they are this, they were this healthy, this healthy, and then they hand you a check and they say, here's $1.3 million dollars. Whatever, whatever it is. How many of you are still mad about that? Right? We're still mad. Did that check satisfy your wrath? Absolutely not. But with God, it's different. Jesus is a propitiation. He is a sacrifice that removes wrath. And so Jesus removed the wrath that God had for us because of our sin. So why did Jesus need to die? We looked at the disciples' example. Jesus says clearly that God's standard is perfection for us. 
that God's process for us to be made right when we are not perfect is through blood, through that process of a sacrifice being brought to a priest, a hand being laid on the animal's head, the throat being cut, the blood being drained, the blood being poured out onto an altar, and the, the animal burned. Right? We, we are so far removed from that reality, but that was the requirement and the cost of our sin. The wages of sin is still death. And why did Jesus need to die? Because he was the perfect and final sacrifice to God with his own blood. Hebrews says he entered the holy of holies, that holiest place where God resides with his own blood. And not here on earth, he did it in heaven. So three things that just stood out to me from Hebrews 9, that Jesus has secured our redemption forever. Right? Th- these are the verses, these are the, the principles and the realities that it's important for us to know. There are times when we feel like God, that I'm not good enough, right? That, that I've, I've sinned and God can't love me anymore. But if you have Jesus, he has secured re- your redemption forever. That God has, that he's purified our conscience from sin. And that Jesus stands before God on our behalf in heaven. And so, you know, how do we respond to something like this? What do we do? I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm bringing this word and, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us. You know, I, I think some people are in here today who, who feel some type of stirring. It was a verse, it was something you know, that we talked about. You know, my, my words are irrelevant. It's what God is speaking to you. And if you feel in your heart that there's something that, that God is saying to you right now, I want to just encourage you. John 10 says that we are his sheep and we know his voice. And that, that takes trust and that takes growth to get to that point where we know it's God. But, but I would just say, if you feel like something is stirring in you, something that you heard is moving in you, that, that's probably God. And one of the best things we can do when that happens is just to take a minute to listen or to take a minute and say, you know, God, what are you saying to me? Like, absolutely, God wants to answer that prayer for us. And so we just want to have an opportunity for you to come. If you feel like, yeah, God is speaking to me, there's something he's trying to say, then I, right after this, we'll, we'll be playing some music and we, we just want you to come. We have a prayer team here at Shiloh uh, who will be available to pray with you. And if you, if you would like prayer, the team will be there to pray. If you want to just listen, someone will come up to you and they'll say, hey, how can I pray for you? And you can just say, I'm just going to listen. And they'll stand there and they'll, they'll listen with you and just stand there to, to be a support. Right, so may, maybe that's you. Or maybe this is, our response is, is to take God's word and just to pray it back to him in gratitude. Uh, John 1, the verse I shared earlier. God, thank you for sending Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe that's all it is, is just praying a prayer of gratitude back to the Father for what he's done for us. And you know, maybe some of you here are like, no, nah, I didn't really hear anything, right? Or, or maybe, oh, I, I want to hear something, but nothing really moved in my heart. I would encourage you to go back to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, is a, it, it talks through this in much more detail than, than we could get into today. But um, I, I would encourage you to go back and, and to do that. Because I believe with all of my heart that God is wanting us to have a deeper understanding of what Jesus has done. Right, That the message of Easter is that 
for all of our sin, for all the times we've made mistakes, instead of us needing to die, Jesus died for them once and for all. Steve, I'll invite you to come up and, and play. Uh, Lord, we just thank you, God, that your word is true, that it, it always accomplishes what you set it out to do. And God, we, we want to be sensitive to you and to what you are saying to us. And we want to believe that we know your voice. And so, Lord, if, if you are speaking to us, would you magnify that right now? God, we thank you that you meet us in this place. We thank you that the message of Easter is that you did need to come and to die, and you died for us forever. Thank you, God, that you stand in heaven on our behalf, and that when we sin, God looks at you, and his wrath is satisfied and we're forgiven. God, we thank you that our redemption is secured forever in you. We are grateful to you, Father. And in this season, we reflect on that and reflect on what you have done for us. So Shiloh, I just want to encourage you, if you feel like God is speaking to you, you can just come on up to the sides and the the prayer team will, will be there with you. So Lord, we welcome you here. We pray for our body this week that you would minister to them, that you would speak to them, that you would guide them and lead them, protect them. God, thank you for this beautiful season. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for coming.